You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and I've got two great guests on the program, Daria Sotadeh and Kat Meyer, both with Fridays for Future. And just for a little background, uh, Fridays for Future is the organization that Greta Thunberg started and uh, became a worldwide sensation. Greta has just recently published a book, The Climate Book, a New York Times bestseller, which is a collection of essays. And Greta once said, you're never too small to make a difference, which I think is just a great quote uh, and reminds us all that we can all step in there and make something happen. One of the things I like about your group is that it's a non-hierarchical group and that all the local groups are autonomous and that uh, you kind of encourage each of these members to speak for themselves so that it isn't a situation where somebody on high is telling you, do this, do that, uh, say this, say that. That to me is very powerful. I love that. Now, climate change is the most important issue facing the world and it's existential threat and young people should be upset about what is happening because those of us who are a bit older have made a very big mess of this planet and have polluted it. And the corporations that have been polluting are certainly responsible, but all of us bear some part of that culpability. So it's time to get out in the streets and shout from the rooftops, uh, stop polluting our home, our planet. So uh, with that, Kat and Daria, uh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having us. It's it's great to be here. Daria, your position is that you're in Germany as a spokesperson for Fridays for Future in Germany. Tell us a little bit about the work that you're doing in Germany. Um, yes. Yeah, so as you said, we have uh, several we have several local groups, and I'm active in different groups, uh, one in a bigger city in Berlin and uh, also in Heidelberg. And um, yeah, so what we do, of course, is organizing those strikes. We recently just had the 12th global strike, 12th already. Um, and so, well, yeah, we try to also work together and connect to like uh, groups from other countries to coordinate that day. What I also do is like a lot of educational work inside, like within the group and also work in the media section where we kind of try to talk to the press and uh, reach out to as many people as possible. I, I saw in the news that uh, there was a big strike regarding a German uh, coal mine that your group was trying to shut down. Uh, tell us a little bit about that strike and the importance of uh, doing that. Um, you probably referring to Lützerat, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, um, that was a huge thing. Um, the story of Lützerat is that it's a village or it used to be a village, uh, in Northwestern Germany. And, uh, there is a coal mine quite close to the village, uh, which belongs to RWE. Um, a fossil fuel company and they had plans to like um, expand that uh, coal mine in order to um, track more uh, lignite supposedly because it's needed but um, there are studies that prove 
that it, this is wrong and we actually don't need that lignite. And uh, however, the government of that region also kind of agreed and um, therefore the company was allowed to um, demolish Lützerath and to evacuate it before. So all the, the inhabitants were forced to leave um, in the recent years. And then many activists from Germany, but also from other countries, came to Lützerath and built up the place again. And they built tree houses and like a whole little village. So it kind of became alive again. And they kept the place occupied until a few weeks ago, actually. Um, and then finally, uh, Lützerath was evicted by the police and demolished. Well, it's kind of a sad uh, ending to that. But uh, I think that the point is being made that we need to get off of coal, which is such a dirty fuel and causes so many harms to our environment uh, in so many different ways, not only just the air pollution, but also the water pollution that results from it and uh, and displacing communities and, and all of the things that happen downstream. Tell us a little bit about the, the work that uh, you're doing, Kat. Glad to. So I coordinate nationally with Fridays for Future U.S. and Fridays for Future U.S. is set set up to be a network of all the different local groups that are um, within the U.S. So what we do is we try to connect all the different organizers in these different local groups and like bundle resources, um, create a unified platform on which we can amplify all the amazing work that they're doing and connect to the international and thus with all the other national um, Fridays for Future groups um, that are out there. So how big is uh, Fridays for Future in the U.S.? So Fridays for Future U.S. um, is so because of the way that Fridays for Future like came and um, came to be and kind of swept across the globe. Fridays for Future is a lot larger in Europe. And I actually got started with Fridays for Future when I was going to university in Berlin. um, And that's where I got hooked on Fridays for Future organizing in the summer of 2018, whenever it kind of like swept across Europe. Um, And then whenever I moved to the U.S. in 2020, I was like I, you know, completely obviously wanted to keep organizing Fridays for Future US. And it was right after COVID hit um, and a lot of a lot of organizing and protesting and all the the stuff that kind of lived off of us being on the streets, meeting, you know, to 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 plan and doing all kinds of workshops and all these different things that were really built around community, um, right when the entire world kind of everybody went into isolation, it all kind of uh, went on pause. And then when COVID ended up taking a lot longer than I think than most people expected it to, um, the question really became, how do we pivot to a lot more online um, organizing? What can we do that doesn't require us to be in person out on the streets and stuff like that? Um, and so from there, it really became basically an entirely new iteration, at least within, at least in Fridays Future US. I don't, um, I know that other, other Fridays Future groups um, also kind of struggled with this, but I can't speak to how it was in other countries. But at least within the US, the um, basically we set up an entirely new iteration of Fridays for Future US at the end, starting the end of 2020. Um, and yeah, since then, it's really grown. We, I don't, even have a account right now because we are literally adding local groups so fast. Um, it's incredible. So we are now I think somewhere close to around 50 local groups. Um, 
And the the size completely varies. Sometimes it is an individual person bringing that message to their community and being that person to put up their hand um, to be like, okay, everybody who wants to work on climate change, let's meet over here. Um, And then other groups um, in other cities, um, we've got thousands of people, at least that come to the protest, right? How many of those are organizers is always a little fluctuant, but um, yeah, anywhere from, from, single organizers to, to, to massive groups within the U S that's great. Well, it's an amazing story. Uh, maybe Dari, you can tell us a little bit, give the listeners a little bit of the background, uh, for those of us who may be less than familiar with, uh, Fridays for future, how it started and, uh, how it's grown. Yeah. So, um, in Europe, it started in 2018, as Kat just told you. And, um, it was also like, I think at the end of 2018 and at the beginning of 2019, we had those like huge strikes where we had, I don't know, sometimes even millions of people um, on the streets. And that was like massive. And that was really, as Kat said, it was like a wave of like um, <laughs> kind of pulling so many people and especially young people. And um it felt like it was really present. And uh, also in Germany, for example, politicians talked about it a lot, partly because they were angry. <laughs> um, they were angry because children were skipping school and all of that. So we had that discussion going on. But our main achievement was that people were talking about climate change again and about the climate crisis. And that it's understandable that so many Young people are angry about the government and its um, kind of <laughs> uh, policy. So um, that was this huge moment. And then, of course, we had the pandemic and we had to look for new ways to and how to continue uh, because we couldn't do the strikes anymore, obviously. And we did a lot of like online work. We tried to stay connected or to connect to new groups, um, do a lot of like educational work and um, found creative ways for different forms of actions and protest. Well, it's amazing uh, the work that has been done and and the phenomenal success that the group has had. Uh, We'll be right back in just one minute. You're listening to A Climate Change and I've got Two amazing guests on the program from Fridays for Future, Kat Meyer and Daria Sotodeh. We'll be back in just one minute. Listening to a climate change, I have got two amazing guests on the program. Fridays for Future, Kat and Daria. We were just talking before the break about uh, the genesis of the organization, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your thoughts as to structure and theories of change that uh, your organization teaches and talks about uh, to its members. 
Sure, I'm happy to jump in on this point because this is something that I um, think about and talk about quite a bit in the in the organizing work that I do. And I think kind of what led to Fridays for Future becoming such a massive thing so fast and such an international force um, that, as we were saying earlier, just really was like this massive wave that swept over first Europe and then the rest of the world was really that really simple rallying cry of just like, just speak up, grab a sign literally out of your recycle, out of your trash, write your message on there. And then like go sit in front of the parliament building or have dinner table conversations with your parents, start asking questions, right? Talk to your friends about things. And it was, there was no like massive kind of barrier to entry into, into the movement and into doing something. There was no like official entity, right? That was like, you are now officially Fridays for Future. There is, there is no like legal entity, there's no headquarters, there's no staff, there's no head honcho. Um, we are all Fridays for Future, right? There's base values that we that we all believe in, but outside of that, there's no like official stance or anything like that. Even within international, um, like Fridays for Future International isn't a separate body. It is just a network of all the different national and local groups. And so really, I think what, what empowered so many people to take this up was the fact that it was just a super simple cry and it was never intention to kind of become you know the next big international youth network right there was no strategic plan there's no you know there's no board of advisors or anything like that that really just came out of a sense of desperation and the need to call for change and I think kind of really having those super simple super low barriers of entry especially to do like a lot of things that were not um, for, like a lot of organizations that work in the space do a lot of arrestables and kind of where the theory of change behind there is disruption. Um, and while we fully like we do need to disrupt the norm, we need to change the status quo. There's different ways of going about that. And one of the niches that Fridays for Future fills, not to say that any of them are right or wrong, but one of the niches that Fridays for Future fills within this broader movement is having that space that encourages everybody to get involved. So most of the actions don't require, you know, getting arrested or, you know, any kind of putting your body on the line or something like that. It really is about changing the way that we think and thus act in everyday life. So the basic aim in the end is mass mobilization, but not really mass mobilization onto the streets. We need to be there too to get our message out. But the main goal is to mass mobilize people across the world to make changes in the systems that they're already in, right where you are, right? Look around yourself with open eyes. What are the decisions that other people are making around you? What are decisions that you disagree with? Or what are things that we could be doing differently? What are things that you can do differently in your own life, but not in the sense of individual action, right? What are the things that you could change if enough people got together to change things? Society is, we decide how we live together as society. It's not like the laws of physics, right? Um, and so when enough of us get together and like, actually, I think we should be doing this thing differently, then we totally can. And that kind of fundamental societal shift of having active, being active participants in our society um, and being aware of the, the consequences of our actions in whichever way, shape or form, environment and climate is completely one of them, but being very active in our, in our society and, and caring about those around you, I think that is the fundamental shift and societal change in the societal norm that Fridays for Future is trying to enact. Well, it certainly can relate to that. And I feel like I probably sat on the sidelines too long as our climate and our political system was going in the wrong direction on this. And uh, I think it was in 2016 when President Trump was elected and his 
kind of complete disregard of climate change kind of woke me up and said, okay, you know, we cannot sit on the sidelines any longer. I can't sit on the sidelines any longer. I've got to stand up and start doing something. And so little by little became more engaged in this movement. So uh, what brought you in, Daria, to the movement? What What's kind of your story? What made you get up off your seat and say, hey, this is the time I'm going to do something? Basically, I've always wanted to be politically active, but it just took me a lot of time to get started because I couldn't really decide on which group I want to be part of and because there are so many groups and movements and yeah and then actually um the funny thing is I actually got more involved with Fridays for Future right at the beginning of the pandemic so with the first shutdown um I I was like okay now it's maybe the time to do those things that I kind of always that I always wanted to do um and then my local group just had had an online meeting they offered an online meeting for people who were interested in becoming part of the group and um I just participated and they were really nice and then I got started and everything went super fast like we had weekly meetings and for two or three months I only knew everyone online but we still got to work each other really well and um i was so impressed by the amount of ideas that people had of actions of uh, like the global strike back then kind of suddenly had to be an online strike and they were having still like so many people were painting posters and we had like workshops and yeah so that's how i got started well, that's a great story. I mean, I think that uh, just jumping in and taking that first step to go to a meeting and uh, then after going to a meeting, uh, getting inspired and taking the next step and the next step. So you don't have to have a master plan. And I, I totally love the organic nature of Fridays for Future in not having a strategic plan and just being organic so I'm a bit of a Taoist. So in Taoism, there's kind of no plan uh, either. But uh, so without the plan, where where is the spirit leading all of you next? Uh, have any ideas? <laughs> I'd love to join here. I, I think, you know, not having a strategic plan from the beginning on like a grand master plan is definitely true. It doesn't mean that there aren't like strategic moves and like strategic, um, you know, kind of questioned about what campaigns to engage in and how best to go about it, um, go about them. But kind of the way that the organization came together and grew was very much organic. Um, and also just real quick to, to echo completely what you were saying about getting involved first is like not like take that first step. There is no way that you can plan out your activism journey. There is so much that you don't even know that you don't know, right? And so many engaged, like ways to get engaged. Uh, whenever I first started with activism, I literally never, ever could have imagined doing what I do now. And I didn't even know that these jobs, like this kind of activism and not to mention these jobs that exist within this kind of world um, that they even exist. So I just wanted to echo that, that just like take that first step, um, connect with people, grab your first sign, go to your first rally, and then you will be 10 steps further before you even know where, what hit you. Um, and also just like, you know, there's no need to be a climate expert or anything like that to engage. We are all figuring as we go, it all's changing really fast. It's all just about engaging. Um, and then, and then 
you know, you'll move on before you even know it. So um, Brooke, I just wanted to echo that. But in terms of where the movement is going, I do think that Friday's Future has really changed a lot. And it's because it started with the whole like youth calling on those in positions of power to wake up and cre- use their positions to create change. And that, I mean, we kind of like, you started that in 2018, but right, that stands on the shoulders of environmental activists from decades, decades before us. Um, and the thing is that just like, even though with, even just within those few years since 2018, we're not seeing nearly enough action. And now as this movement grows, um, as we start pulling, connecting to other networks um, and, and are, are starting to build our own resources, and, and we also within the movement are getting older, um, we are moving ever more towards like finding our inroads into these positions of powers, uh, into the rooms, to the tables. So we're not standing on the outside as much anymore being like, hey, you have to change. But we are like, okay, if you're not going to do, if you're not going to enact the change, if you're not going to change, then move out of the way or let us into the room. Um, and, and we'll just have to do it. So I think that's kind of really where the movement is headed ever more right now is, is taking, is going from the stripes where we're, st- I think we will always be a strike organization, but using those the strikes kind of as basically one really powerful tool but still one tool within a broader toolkit so now figuring out how we move beyond striking that striking our strategic tools that we use in broader campaigns um, in order to enact that change that we've been calling for for so long well i think that's a brilliant move and and uh getting people involved to take the next step to say okay we'll get on the water board or get on the air quality board get on the city council or the state legislature or wherever it is that you are in that process, you can engage and you can have a voice and don't kind of be a victim to the situation. Use your ability to get on there and make change happen. Uh, because yeah, it's, it's sometimes important to protest, but uh, executing on these ideas and being, like you said, in the room is... Um, well, I think it's a line from uh, Hamilton uh, in the room where it happens or something like that. Right. Isn't that, that how it is <laughs> I, Daria, that may be a musical that you're not familiar with on the other side of the Atlantic. I don't know. Well, we'll be coming back and we'll ask Daria about Hamilton and, and which what's your favorite song right after the break. Listening to a climate change. This is Matt Matter and your host, and I've got two great uh, participants at Fridays for Future on the program, Daria and Kat. And we were just talking about Hamilton, and uh, Hamilton's uh, not only a great musical, but I think it's a kind of a great model of uh, 17th century. I guess it was 18th century change of one of our great political leaders, Alexander Hamilton, who kind of came out of nowhere you know, had a very limited family structure and came to the U.S. with nothing and uh, became a a huge player in our system. I think that's what we're calling kind of on everybody to do. Like, you can do your part. He jumped in with both feet and said, hey, I want to be a part of this. And he did it. 
And I think that's the kind of spirit that we're talking about is, is jump in and just start doing. So tell us a little bit about uh, your journey, Kat, as to uh, what one of the next steps you, you kind of gave a few things that you're talking about the organization doing. Is there anything else that, uh, you know, the audience should know about and, and also how they can jump in and work with your group or, uh, you know, touch base with other groups? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that you were saying is, is about like, if everybody is active and takes, you know, a few steps around them, then less people have to do a lot of steps. So I know sometimes it feels daunting when we say like, take that first step before you know it, you'll be like so far, like, it doesn't mean that one has to like, spend their entire evenings, right on zoom calls and organizing these strikes and and basically taking on an unpaid 40 hour job. All right. But the, the, the point being, that if everybody just does a little bit around them um, and is just considerate and 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 you know lives decently with consideration for those around them and the consequences of their actions, then we collectively as a society create that change and create the world in which we all want to live. It's fully fully possible um, for us to create a society in which I would even say everybody can can live comfortably. Um, um, that you know requires us all to be active because as you were saying earlier about sitting on the sidelines and then that if if enough of us sit on the sidelines and feel like we are unable to affect change then that leaves the space open for those people to take advantage um, of the situation that everybody is kind of like you know passive hands off to step in and then you know, take on and take over and do these things. And that's what we see a lot in like the fossil fuel industry, as you were saying, when how President Trump got elected, because there were so many of us that just were like, what can I change? I'm just one individual person. Like, I don't need to go vote. What does my voice matter? Right. I don't need to go like, I'm too busy. I don't want to go sit on, you know, the school board. I don't, you know, have time to go look up what my governor stands for. Right. And all these things add up to really leaving the door open to these other actors coming in um, and and us not having this this world um, and then like that that we all want to live in and then just standing there shaking our heads right um, at the systems that have that that we have allowed to happen. So um, and it's a sound maybe sound a little meta and abstract, but basically saying like looking around with open eyes and really breaking down that that narrative of individual isolation. So that whole concept of like you are just not even a cog in the machine, what you do doesn't matter. And that whole narrative was very intentionally crafted by the fossil fuel industry and the affiliated industries. Like the, for instance, the whole, like the carbon footprint was literally a concept thought of by BP. And if you look back into their internal documents, it's literally something that they were like, okay, how do we distract from the fact that we are causing climate change, but we don't want anybody to know about it. So how can we make it so that people feel responsible for it, but also enable to counter this massive system. So they just give up and are like, well, what choice do I have? So I'm just going to keep consuming fossil fuels because I can't make a change anyway, but I'm going to feel bad about it and calculate my carbon footprint and not fly, even though that's going to be a drop in the bucket, right? That in entire paradoxical situation and that narrative was intentionally crafted. And we can break that by making just 
action and stepping up and talking to each other and breaking the cycle of silence and all these things that seem so small, having dinner table conversations, um, talking with our friends so that it becomes normal to talk about climate change and the eco-anxiety and these things that words that when you bring them up, they make you sound like some leftist radical, right? Um, that is how we create that change. And it's so hard to grasp and it's you can't measure it. And like you can maybe count the number of people that come to a strike, but that is like the tip of the iceberg, right? What, what creates change is these conversations is seeing that my friends really actually care about this thing. And the reason that we never talked about it is because we all thought the other person thought we would be weird if we said that we're really scared about our future, right? But we are now seeing that it is okay. Like eco-anxiety was the word of the year last year because it suddenly became okay. Enough of us spoke up that enough of us were like, hey, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one that feels that way. We can talk about this stuff, right? And that is the incremental change that has to happen and how we slowly shift the fabric of our society. And that is unfortunately not measured in some sort of key performance indexes and, and, and KPI indexes and stuff like that. But that is that is the fundamental action that everybody can take. Well, absolutely. And it, it's uh, being an active citizen and being an active citizen requires a lot. I mean, quite frankly, it, it has its challenges. You have to kind of read up a bit about the environmental problems so that you can talk about it, you know, with some degree of, you know, authority. And I, I know from my experience, it took a while to kind of start to wrap my arms around the problem. I, I, I remember printing off the IPCC report and it was like this massive document and, you know, seeing that there were hundreds and thousands of uh, studies regarding the climate and it can be a bit overwhelming. But I think you just start reading a little bit every day. We all have our news feeds and you start reading about these things and then talking about it and sharing it with friends and family and talking to governmental officials and saying, hey, we need to change this. We need to reduce our waste. There are ways to do this. And, uh, you know, it's exciting. There are a lot. Of, there's a lot of great work being done. I've had uh, Senator Ben Allen, who's a California state senator here on the program, and uh, he was the leader on reducing plastic, uh, single-use plastic waste here in California. And I think it's one of the world-leading programs that uh, is happening. And I think we have these types of things happening around the world, and we need to look look out there, like you were saying, find them, support those leaders that are doing the right thing, and give them our attention, give them our uh, work, our money, whatever it is that we have, we can engage and we can we can push things forward. So uh, tell us a little bit, Dara, on the front in Germany, uh, besides the major strike at the coal plant, uh, which caused a, a lot of worldwide attention. I saw you uh, quoted in a number of different um, papers and publications. Uh, congrats on that. But uh, what's next uh, for for you there in Germany and the organization? Um, Kat mentioned some very important and crucial points, and um, I would agree with that. And I think that we tried to work on that as well. So our aim is to unite as many parts of society as possible. And for now, of course, the other side is that we have like people who are really kind of um, critical, and they like they're kind of don't agree with us or they think that we don't see their struggles, especially, for example, uh, workers in 
coal companies or um, other parts of the industry. And we, I think it's really important to get in touch and to talk to each other and talk about our different perspectives. And that's what we did recently, like for the last global strike, we um, were striking together with uh, workers of the public transport and with a trade union. And um, we also get in touch with like other trade unions, which are more focused on like uh, workers of the car industry, um, which are basically those who are kind of afraid of climate activism because they think that, well, they will lose their jobs and no one cares. And those narratives that are actually pushed by many politicians. And I think that's like a key issue that we have to work on and to, to say that like what we want is that every single human being has the chance to live in security. Um, and therefore, I think our power has always been to, to work together and to support each other because that that's what made us that strong. And um, so this is what we're kind of going right now. And I'm looking forward to connect to people like workers and uh, different parts of society and to learn more about the other aspects of life that I don't know yet. Well, that's uh, really important in order to understand the other side of any argument, the other side of any movement, uh, so that you can work with them and ultimately persuade them. Uh, it, when you really understand, as a great trial attorneys know, that when they understand the other side of the case, that's when you really can make your best case. So can I just jump in real quick? Because the framing of them being on the other side is one that is that is one of the problems is that they're not the other side. We're, we're, there's not some other side to understand. We're not enemies or anything like that. We are like all fighting on the same. That is like one of the like ways in which this entire fossil economy has been able to keep workers and participants and like citizens down is because they divide us, right? They they, they craft these narratives that, that pitch us against each other where we feel like we ha- it's our fight or their fight, right? And all these different things. We're in that's not true. Um, and so I think really countering that fundamental narrative of that there is the other side um, whenever it comes to like workers or, or you know, not the one. I, I, I appreciate that correction, Kat. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> and thank you. And, uh, you know, it's a very important point worth stating and restating that uh, it we're all on the same team as far as saving the planet. So we all have that interest. So you're listening to A Climate Change. I've got uh, two amazing young guests on the program, Fridays for Future. We'll be right back in one minute. You're listening to A Climate Change. This is Matt Mattern, your host, and I've got Fridays for Future, Daria and Kat on the program, Kat Meyer and Daria Sotoday. Daria, tell us a little bit about how the war in Ukraine has affected uh, your organization in terms of, has it distracted uh, governmental officials from 
the problems of climate change? Has it helped them focus on the problems of climate change because of the fact that, say, Germany was so dependent on fossil fuels from Russia? Tell us a little bit about uh, what's been going on there from your perspective. First of all, it had different effects, like the war, but um, at the beginning, it caused a lot of insecurity within society. And um, we, and especially Germany, are really dependent or have been dependent on Russian gas. And that was like, actually, we knew that and the government knew that. And there have been experts who uh, had warned the government for years but yeah, um, nothing had happened. And then suddenly there was this fear of like, okay, how can we get our energy supply in time? We don't have the time to like transition to renewable energies right now because also that had been kind of neglected for too long. And that led to the government um, actually doing things that are kind of fueling the climate crisis, they went to other governments and uh, bought gas and made contracts for like energy imports. They, um, well, kind of were, for example, dealing with uh, RWE and negotiating about um, their coal mining and a huge argument in this whole uh, debate about Litzerat was that we need this lignite that is below the village because of our energy security. And that is something that at the beginning convinced many people because they were afraid of, they believed that. But in the end, we can say that actually Lutzerat united many people from the society and different parts of the society and brought them all together. And I think also the, the war in Ukraine, it also showed and the effect it had on Europe, it also showed that we cannot, you know, deal with every crisis just on its own, that the crises are connected to each other and that the climate crisis is also connected to the war and that we have to find solutions that help in every part. And we have those solutions, for example, renewable energies that kind of would have made us more independent and also help uh, concerning the climate crisis. And I think that this is one of the other things that became really obvious through that war that we can support each other. And we also, um, like we organized a huge protest to support Ukrainian people and work together and um, built this alliance. And I think this is, well, maybe one of the few good outcomes of that situation. Right. I mean, the old phrase, it's an ill wind that doesn't blow any good. Uh, I mean, not obviously this is a tragic situation, but you hope that certain good things can come out of it at the end of the day. And I've read articles that uh, it might have sped up the change towards a carbon neutral society by as much as 10 years because of uh, getting governments and individuals, but particularly governments and corporations to start making changes regarding uh, energy use and and switching the types of fuels they're going to use and uh, things of that nature. Uh, Kat, uh, what's your comment on that? Yeah, I think after so many decades of 
various activists and scientists and stuff like that warning of exactly something like this, the fact that it it has to happen. Like, why why did this have to happen? There's going to be so many other terrible things that happen um, from the escalations that are going to happen through the, the the climate change and also the I don't like to call them natural disasters because they're not natural disasters, but right, like hurricanes and tornadoes, stuff that is going to be taking lives, um, that it takes these kinds of things happening to wake up the governments and the people in positions to make the changes. I think that's really sad that it had to come this far. Yeah, it's certainly tragic that humans uh, tend not to wake up um, very quickly from their slumber. And there's a certain degree of unconsciousness and comfortability. We've kind of been lulled into sleep by TV and music and all the media that we have that just entertains us mindlessly uh, versus being awake to the problems that are in front of our face. So that's one of the kind of systemic problems that I feel like we have. And I quite frankly think that young people are dealing with it in some ways uh, in a more of a crisis state than than maybe my generation, because we had less of that social media, we had less uh, entertainment that could distract us from uh, working on the problems that we had. It didn't mean we did a better job, but we we certainly had uh, less distractions. Maybe the other flip side of it is you have more tools to bring people together uh, more effectively than ever before. Uh, Daria, what do you think? Yeah, Um in general, that's a difficult question, like uh, whether media and um, all the technical innovations that we had rather help us or um, make everything more complex and difficult. I'd say it depends. Um, but I definitely say that, especially in a quite young movement, um, we we learned how to use those tools in order to, well, use the advantages that they have. And one crucial part of this, in my opinion, is to be connected on an international level. And that is something that I really appreciate so that we can like talk to activists from all over the world, um, see them, listen to them and learn from them, especially as someone who lives in the global North, um, talking to activists who yeah, unfortunately had to kind of grow up with the consequences of the climate crisis who are seeing those, not natural, uh, but uh, catastrophes and floods and droughts and everything in their everyday life and to be connected to them and have an exchange and uh, work together is, is something that is really, really crucial for our work as an international movement. Um, yeah, and then also social media. It's a it's a really complex topic, but I think it is it can be used in a good way and in order to like unite many people and especially um, reach out to young people. Yeah, and just real quick on that, the youth kind of had to build all of these. Like we're having to build all these inroads and systems, um, and 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 figure kind of how how to do all this on our own. So just kind of maybe a shout out that to the other to people listening to this, like Rise for Future is a youth led group, but this is an intergenerational fight. Like we're we need all hands on deck, and it's like the youth bring like untethered thinking and energy, but adults 
have resources and experience. So if you are somebody that is in the room, open the door, <laughs> give us an inroad, help us learn what we need to what we need to learn um, and so that we don't have to figure it out by ourselves and reinvent the wheel, um, but that we can all move a little bit more efficient so um, and, and, and faster. So um, just wanted to give it a shout out that it's, it's maybe youth led, but this is an intergenerational fight. Absolutely. Uh, we are all in this together. So it's been great having both of you on the show. Uh, you know, Fridays for Future, uh, you guys are doing great work. It's such an exciting organization. Uh, Darius Sotoday, spokesperson and activist uh, in Germany, and Kat Meyer, national coordinator for the U.S. for the organization. I think everybody should go out. I got the book, The Climate Book by Greta Thunberg, a collection of essays. It's a New York Times bestseller. And I, I again, love her quote, you are never too small to make a difference. So I, you know, one of the calls to action on our show is to have people get involved. And if you're listening to this program uh, on the radio, or if you're listening on the website, a podcast, uh, look at a climatechange.com. We've had a hundred guests on the program from policy people to uh, activists like yourselves, corporate folks that are creating new technologies to help us uh, conquer this problem. So check it out. Uh, go look at a climatechange.com. Get engaged. Get engaged with your local groups. Check out Fridays for Future uh, and uh, make that call. Just get on the line. Talk to somebody. Get off. Uh, get off the sofa and get into action. That's that's the name of the game. Take that first step. And then the next one will become self-evident. So again, thank you both, Daria and Kat, for being on the program. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. It was really nice. This is Matt Mattern, your host. And tune in next week.